I'm in Dubai, in the heart of the old city. I'm making my way through a warren of narrow walkways and a crush of humanity. Hello, sir. Yes, you This is the city's world-famous gold souk. It's just packed with people, and they're all here for one thing, and it is, it is gold. And it smells amazing. Because right next door is the spice souk. They've been selling gold here since ancient times, but it became a global draw when the government started to offer tax breaks to merchants in the 1940s. Now there's about 400 different gold merchants in this tiny souk. It's basically like an enclosed, it's uh, basically like an enclosed atrium type of wicker thing on the top and then just gold shops on either side. And they're all like brightly lit. Everything looks really nice and shiny. They say there's about 10 tons of gold here on any given day. That's about the weight of a private jet. I'm here with my wife, so I feel like I should at least attempt to buy something. And I'm gonna see if I can find a, uh, maybe a small necklace, something very tasteful. 18 carats, perhaps. You don't want to watch this? Watch? No. Copy Rolex Omega, I don't want to watch. <laughs> we find an unassuming little shop off the main strip. What about something like this? Ooh, that's pretty. Yeah, yeah that is nice. We pick out a simple gold chain. So, would you do seven? Seven or no seven? No seven. What's the best price you can give me? Uh, 60 dirhams. I might have cash. There you go. We drove a pretty hard bargain, didn't we? Ironically, what makes this place so popular with tourists is that the quality of the gold is strictly regulated by the government. Cool, thank you Very so much. Nice. Thanks, That's guys. Nice. But what makes Dubai so popular with money launderers is that on the wholesale side, the regulation is anything but strict. And in gleaming towers to the south of here, far away from the old world charm of the gold souk, Traders are cutting deals that makes Dubai known as the city of gold. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton. Welcome to Gold Mafia, Episode 4, The City of Gold. When we last left you, we were charting the path of a 20-ran note that I used to buy illegal cigarettes in Johannesburg, South Africa. It's been on quite a journey. It went from the cashier to a company called Gold Leaf Tobacco, and then through an infamous money launderer with the street name of Mo Dollars. He puts that 20 rand into a series of ghost companies with fake invoices, and that's all before it heads overseas and gets laundered through the gold trade. 
And if you ask members of the gold mafia, that all happens in one place. It all comes out of Dubai. It's all Dubai, Dubai, Dubai. The next station is Al-Safa. Right now on the metro, heading south, all the way south. The gold souk is Dubai's gold past. We're heading to Dubai's gold future. It's about 20 miles south of the old city, in an area known as New Dubai. So now I'm walking up to Jumeirah Lake Towers, home of United Arab Emirates' largest free trade zone, which houses the Dubai Multi-Commodities Center, the DMCC. And, you know, they look like very modern, fairly generic office buildings. Some of them have exciting names, though. There's the Platinum Tower, there's the Silver Tower, and the Diamond Tower, and wouldn't you know it, there's also a Gold Tower. And incredibly, our undercover team got a red carpet tour of the place from a member of the Gold Mafia. Now we are at Jumeirah Lake Towers. Free zone. is the 100%. Economy yeah. free zone. Free Lake Towers free zone. Free zone, yeah. Jumeirah Lake Towers. The voice you just heard in our tour guide on that day was Kamlesh Patney. He's sort of a gold mafia legend, having nearly bankrupted Kenya in the famous Goldenberg scandal in the 1990s, see episode two. He's since reinvented himself as an evangelical preacher and is now up to his old tricks but this time in Zimbabwe, as the country's number one gold buyer. Dubai is the center for you know, Africa, a banking center, financial center. It's tax-free. It's, you don't need to have all the pepper you know, too much. In this meeting, he's trying to convince our undercover team, who are posing as wealthy Hong Kong businessmen with millions of dirty dollars to launder, to set up shop with him in the Gold Tower. You need a representative office in the Gold Tower. So it's very easy. It's good, you know, here you came to Dubai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He then shows the team around the offices of one of his companies, Precious Bullion. This is Precious Bullion. If this is yours? Yes. Aside from Patney, the man who does most of the talking is Johnny. He's an undercover journalist posing as our group's financial brain. Patney advises that we start a gold trading company here. So this is where our stuff will be. Yes. The office has a little bit of a Willy Wonka vibe to it with worse lighting. There's gold everywhere. Raw gold, gold bars, coins. Workers are in the background, busy weighing it, storing it to be sold later. Like, I think 400 kilos on the door. I had never seen an inside look at one of the offices that way. That's Lakshmi Kumar, policy director at Global Financial Integrity. She's an expert in anti-corruption and the global gold trade. The one thing I was surprised by is that he was able to have an illegal operation in what's considered maybe a prized building in the DMCC. And DMCC, which stands for the Dubai Multi-Commodity Centers, and was able to conduct this so openly, which again gives him a reputational veneer, which he otherwise would not have. (laughs) 
Patney and Johnny go through the entire conspiracy to launder their money with gold point by point. You collect the money, yes. the cash from Hong Kong, yes. bring it to Dubai. Yes. From Dubai, you take it to Harare. Yes. The raw gold, which you showed us, yeah. you refine it. The raw, and then we give it to the refinery. You convert that into refined gold, and then it has a certificate, and then the money is washed and clean and is turned into a legitimate asset. I think it's particularly worrying that the confidence with which they see there being zero risks in this. There is no talking about, oh, we have to mask something. No, you just go set up a gold trading company in the UAE. No problems. And he's a full service partner in the deal. Patney says that he will handle all the necessary paperwork. Uh, we, we have our own uh, license clearing at Dubai Airport. We have permission of the Central Bank of Dubai. We have permission of Reserve Bank. We have the money laundering clearance certificates. Brilliant. We'll show you all that. We'll show you. Normally, your bank should ask you, OK, what experience do you have? They should do their due diligence. And clearly, that's not happening on the Dubai end. What is your reaction in general to what we've done here? I mean, I think this is an incredible piece of investigative work. I never thought anyone would get someone as notorious as Kamlesh Patni on record talking about another gold laundering scheme. I never thought I would ever see something like that. To me, that is incredible. All right. So the question is, why Dubai? What is it about this place that allows for money laundering through gold? Well, there are two reasons. First, on the gold side, there's just a lot of infrastructure here. It's easy to import it, store it, refine it, and sell it. In the course of our reporting, the gold mafia lays out in great detail how they do all of it, particularly the refining part, which can easily disguise the origin, where all this gold comes from. When I bought that necklace at the gold souk, I asked the shopkeeper, Do you have any idea where the gold comes from? The gold from? I don't know. Yeah, nobody knows, yeah. right? He says, the gold from? I don't know. And that's sort of by design, because that way I can't ask, are you sure this isn't conflict gold? Or, this is from Zimbabwe, which is under Western sanctions? So the infrastructure around gold is pretty important, but it does exist in other jurisdictions like London or Shanghai or Switzerland. What sets Dubai apart and what makes it so appealing to the gold mafia is, well, why don't I let convicted Zimbabwean gold smuggler Ewan McMillan tell you? Dubai is the best. I mean, Dubai would be the best that you can tell. Why? Because they're not charging tax. They're open to money coming in. That's the key for money launderers. They're always looking for weak links, places where they can get illegitimate money into the legitimate financial system. And for a long time, Dubai has been that place, a sort of black hole of financial accountability. Here's global finance expert Paul Holden. Dubai is a secrecy jurisdiction. It doesn't really abide by international law. Dubai is notorious for not sharing banking information with authorities around the world. As soon as money goes into Dubai, it disappears from the radar of global money movements. It's effectively untraceable. 
Dubai has been taking some steps in recent years to address its lawless reputation. And according to Ewan McMillan, who we profiled in detail in episode one, it used to be way worse. Or I suppose from his point of view, way better. I used to fly with 50 kgs of gold and two and a half million dollars worth of US dollars cash. I arrive, put the gold in, sign that up, take the cash money, pay 20, it was like 20 US dollars duty. Yeah, not even duty. It's a paperwork. Take the money, you go straight to the Bureau Exchange, they count the two and a half million, and they transfer it to your bank account. Thanks for coming. We spoke to a man who knows firsthand just how reckless things were back then. Dubai is a hub for dirty gold. In fact, Amjad Rehan is one of the reasons Dubai was forced to start cleaning up its act a bit. In 2013, while working for the global accounting firm Ernst & Young, or EY, he audited the United Arab Emirates' largest gold refineries. The team started discovering shocking violations. The biggest two refiners are rated non-compliant, high-risk, dealing with sanctioned countries or conflict gold. It's at the refinery level where gold is melted down and the origin can be disguised so that no one can know where it came from. The gold refiners are the most important point in the gold supply chain. Gold that comes to refiners, once it's refined, it's practically brand new gold. One of the biggest offenders in Rehan's audit was the largest refinery in the country, Kaloti, which had about 50% of the market share. We concluded that Kaloti's due diligence management system is a huge failure. I mean, it's not functioning effectively. And the numbers they were doing back then were staggering. In one year, Kaloti bought $5.2 billion of gold with cash. You're talking about 100 million a week. That's a huge number. And to be done in cash, that raises a lot of suspicions. The report did not exactly win him a lot of friends in Dubai. Now, Ernst & Young, they didn't challenge the finding. They couldn't really. But they did, in the words of a British judge, try to sweep it under the rug. To my shock, instead of supporting me and backing me up, they instructed me to help the Dubai regulator and the Dubai refiners. Rehan refused to cooperate. He resigned and later sued EY in a London court. The judge sided with Rehan, and EY paid him 11 million US dollars. The controversy did have an impact. Dubai authorities removed Kaloti from its list of approved refineries. Kaloti has since changed its name, and it's now known as MTMNO, which is one of the refineries Kamlesh Patney uses. In fact, it was one of a number of refineries he recommended that our undercover reporters use. Rehan still has the data from that 2012 audit, and he found another connection to the gold mafia. I see Goldrest is here. Goldrest Resources had a subsidiary in the UAE. Its director was Ewan McMillan's Dubai-based business partner. They've done over 16 million US dollars in cash with Kaluti. So he's a relatively substantial supplier. 
Macmillan's partner is named Alistair Mathias, and he claims to be very well connected in Africa and that there's no head of state he can't get to. Like there's no president or head of state that like either of us can't get to on, on this continent. Matthias is a bit cagier than Macmillan. In fact, in one meeting, he chastised our undercover reporter for saying we want to clean our money, even though that's exactly what we're doing. You should say that word, eh? You should just say it's money you need to move. <laughs> Sorry. He said, don't say that word. Just say it's money we need to move. You don't say this here, no. No, don't, don't even say it, generally. Okay. It's like, say you need to move it from here to there. Okay. Stuff, you know? Yes, okay. And then it's better that way. And look, we've knocked a lot of people in this series for failing to do their due diligence. <laughs> So here's Alistair Mathias doing a KYC check on our undercover team. KYC is financial shorthand for know your customer. The money is not related to drugs or arms and ammunitions, right? Do you need to know source of income? <laughs> it's not drugs or arms and ammunition or terrorist related, right? No, we don't want to know source of funds. We just don't want to make sure he's not Pablo Escobar from Hong Kong. (laughs) Now that they've passed what I'm calling the NPE test, not Pablo Escobar, Alistair Mathias is free to dispense with advice. In this candid exchange, he explains what's involved in starting a gold trading company in Dubai. Sometimes the audio is a bit hard to understand, so I'll jump in to clarify when needed. So you're, you're going to tell the bank that we're going to be trading in commodities or gold. Okay, so that's where the bank account, the money will come to that account all the time. He advises setting up the company in one of Dubai's free zones, where companies are exempt from taxes and customs. Just set up a company in one of the free zones. I'll tell you which ones also. The one I use, I pay about $10,000 every year. And depending on the size of your office, you get minimum three visas, five visas, 10 visas. And they won't check, right? They won't check company in. They don't bother. Our reporter asks if the government will check the companies. He said they don't bother. He then recommends making it a precious metals company. And to get the license for this, is it hard to get? Getting the license is easy. You can probably get it in three days, five days. The conversation continues for some time after that. We've had it all transcribed and checked, but it's tough on a podcast, so I'll just give you a few more highlights. Set up a base in Dubai, like a proper office, have people there. You can't have like billions of dollars running through when you have no one there, you know? He advises that they set up a proper office with employees to make it seem feasible that billions of dollars could be running through it. Then I own that refinery, I told you, privately. He says he owns a refinery. It's held in trust by a friend and can refine 150 kilos of gold a day. I can do about 150 kilos a day. Then he says we can pay him through the refinery. So you can pay it through the refinery, you know? So we can can bring cash to your refinery and then do that? Yeah, but I'll play with the paperwork, you know? I'll make it look like you gave me gold or something like that. Quote, I'll play with the paperwork. I'll make it look like you gave me gold or something like that. Wow, that really is the quiet part out loud. Alistair Mathias is still a young man, but he's already a seasoned member of the gold mafia. 
He tells us that he got his start in Ghana when he was 23, and he does about 40 million USD out of Ghana every month. In addition to his work in Dubai, he also owns Swiss gold trading companies, which provide legitimacy and cover for his money laundering. But when he doesn't want the authorities to know what he's doing, there's only one place he trusts. Whatever is like gray area, I take it to Dubai. He said, whatever is gray area, I take it to Dubai. And the more you talk to these guys, you realize that gold and Dubai are essential elements in what they want to do. And what they want to do is not that complicated. Take a big pool of money that is illegitimate and make it legitimate. Gold is how they can mask the origin of the funds, and Dubai is where they can get it into the banking system. And with that in mind, we can finally close the loop on that big pool of money from illegal South African cigarettes, like the ones I bought in episode three. That's after a quick break. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click away from the latest update. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen. It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, host of The Take by Al Jazeera, an international news podcast. Three times a week, we bring you the context and the people behind global stories that matter. Subscribe today. It's late afternoon at the business lounge at Robert Gabriel Mugabe International Airport in Harare, Zimbabwe. An I-Unit surveillance team is keeping tabs on a nondescript-looking man named Peter Bowen as he waits to board an overnight flight to the United Arab Emirates. Final call for Emirates flight. He looks just like an ordinary passenger, and in a sense, he is except for the fact that his carry-on luggage is filled with gold. I heard you work at the airport. Yes, I work at the airport. I've been working at the airport for the last 23 years. We're calling this man Moses. He's airport security, and without his help, guys like Peter Bowen couldn't do what they do. I've been helping people to move gold. I've been helping people to move money. When they get by the security checkpoint, their bags are exempted to search. Our surveillance team is also on hand when Peter Bowen touches down in Dubai, 6.45 a.m. He doesn't even leave the airport. He hands over the gold in exchange for cash, and three hours later, he's on his way home again. The same flight they left with, that's the same flight that they they come back with. The I-Unit obtained a reserve bank document authorizing Peter Bowen to export 66.8 kilograms of gold from Zimbabwe to Dubai. And there's actually a whole crew of guys like Peter Bowen who spend their days and nights shuttling back and forth to Dubai. They're normally traveling either business class or first class. They do rotations. At times, there are three people at one flight. These couriers are basically a not-so-elaborate workaround the sanctions place on Zimbabwe. 
A lot of Zimbabwean politicians and government entities may be under sanction, but Peter Bowen isn't. So there are many couriers, but there's only one boss, and that's Simon Rudland. He's the owner of Goldleaf Tobacco and Zimbabwe's largest gold exporter. So what they do is once if they get the gold, they get the escort all the way to the airport. Once again, Moses, the airport security guy. Simon Redland has got a special deal with Zimbabwe. The government system, I've got 400 kilos to move to Dubai. That's Ewan McMillan, a fellow Zimbabwean and convicted smuggler. They charge him 1% handling and he charges them 10% commission. So he takes 400 kilos, he exports it to Dubai, he gets paid for it in Dubai in cash. He brings the cash back. He says that Simon Rudland is the real power in Zimbabwe. He bankrolls this whole country. He's massive. He is one mother, my friend. You have no idea how big he is. But the reason Simon Rudland is in the gold business in the first place is to help him launder the millions he gets from illegal cigarettes, like the ones I bought in episode three. You sell cigarettes? Yeah, where can I get cigarettes? Remington Gold, 20 Rand, thank you. The revenue from those cigarettes piles up, and it falls on a South African gangster named Mohammed Khan, aka Mo Dollars, to clean it. We've detailed all of the work he puts in, creating hundreds of fake companies, false invoices, and it eventually filters into an offshore holding company called PKSA. Remember that name. And there's one more company name I need you to remember. This one is in Dubai, and it's called Allian Global Trading, operated by Rudland. So PKSA, owned by Mo Dollars, Allian Global Trading, operated by Rudland. Got it? Good. Allian in Dubai, that's who is buying the gold being dropped off by guys like Peter Bowen and the other couriers. Mo Dollar's brother, Dawood, was a former bookkeeper, and he knows the ins and outs of how this works. Olian is a front company for gold, for the tobacco, and for all the other products that we've put in under Olian. Olian is Simon Rudland, 100%. Dawood is in a position to know because all of the gold bought by Allian is financed by PKSA, which is owned by his brother, Mo Dollars. Hmm. Quite a neat system. <laughs> Financial analyst Paul Holden. So you effectively have, so gold's being bought from the Reserve Bank in Zimbabwe, being exported to Dubai, and then it's being sold to a Mo Dollars company in South Africa. Does the gold ever travel to Mo Dollars in South Africa, or no? <laughs> in 2018, PKSA loaned Allian 98 million US dollars. That's exactly the value that Rudland's couriers delivered that year. Allian then appears to repay the loan, and the transaction is complete. It's just a circle, just a loop, which is a very common money laundering technique. This is a loan back, basically. Moving the money abroad and then washing it and then moving it back in. 
The relationship between these two companies is the financial bridge that connects money from illicit cigarettes in South Africa to gold mined by artisanal miners in Zimbabwe. Mo Dollars funnels Rudland's dirty money into PKSA. PKSA loans it to Allian to buy gold from Zimbabwe's central bank. Rudland's dirty money ends up as gold in Dubai that he can sell, and the money is clean. Here's Lakshmi Kumar, followed by Paul Holden again. It's the same money that's just being cycled through the fiction of a gold trade. Essentially, you're paying yourself when it's the same money from start to finish. If you have products moving from Zimbabwe to Dubai, you effectively have funds moving from one criminal state to another, um, which is incredibly hard to track. You know, there's another thing about Dubai that needs mentioning. This place is intoxicating. So I just got out of the Burj Khalifa. I caught the sun setting over the city, got down to this central downtown area, and the fountains were dancing, and it's just there's people everywhere. Everything is oversized here. It has the tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa, and I'm just a few meters away from the second largest mall in the world. This is where Mo Dollar's wife used to shop till the people holding her bags nearly dropped. When I go to Dubai Mall, I have this, this gold trolleys walking behind me. I just buy and buy and buy. It was just mad. For Warda Latif and her ex Mo Dollars, Dubai was the perfect place to spend their ill-gotten fortune. Gold, we buy cash, bags, everything, shoes, we buy cash. So there's no trail. There's no trail. Dubai is cosmopolitan. It's glamorous. And you get a sense of, of a place where they're just moving so fast that they never really bothered to put in the necessary checks and balances you probably need because they're just too, too busy building and too busy making money. But this no-questions-asked approach has its price, and we've seen it throughout this Gold Mafia season. How many of these Rolls-Royce phantoms are paid for by the toil of artisanal miners? How many high-rise condos are paid for with stolen tax dollars from South Africa, where half the population lives below the poverty line? Last word to Lakshmi Kumar, who reminds us there's no such thing as a victimless crime. There is always a victim. The question is, do you see the victim today? Or are you going to feel the costs of importing this kind of crime 10 years from now. Sucking that money out of a country means that, yes, that many fewer kids are being educated, that many fewer women get the health care they need. People do pay for it. It's just not visceral and in your face when it's a violent crime. We contacted everyone who appeared in this podcast. 
Simon Rudland told us that the allegations against him formed part of a smear campaign by an unidentified third party. He denied any involvement in the sale of illicit cigarettes, in gold or other smuggling, and in sanctions busting. He also denied any knowledge of Allian and its activities and told us that it was not true that money passed from the accounts of Gold Leaf to Allian. He accepted that he had dealings with Mohammed Khan, who he agreed appeared to be a money launderer and that Gold Leaf and another of his companies had authorized Mr. Khan to act as their agent, but he denied that any form of money laundering had been undertaken for him. Gold Leaf Tobacco emphatically denied any involvement in money laundering or the trade of illegal gold. No untaxed or illegal cigarettes could be attributed to Gold Leaf, though the proceeds of illicit sales of its products by others did appear to have been moved between jurisdictions and thereby laundered. Goldleaf's limited transactions with Mohammed Khan had always been lawful and proper, though it accepted that Mr. Khan was a money launderer. Goldleaf said it had never made any payment to Allian. Mohammed Khan told us that the allegations against him were false and were based on speculation, conjecture, and manufactured and doctored evidence. He confirmed that he was the owner of PKSA and that Goldleaf and Allian were clients of his businesses but he denied any involvement in money laundering or other criminal activity. Alistair Mathias denied that he designed mechanisms to launder money and said that he had never laundered money or gold or traded illegal gold or offered to do such things. He told us he never had any working relationship with Ewan McMillan. He denied ever having owned Goldrest or ever having traded gold in Ghana. He said that he had never owned any refineries in Dubai. Kamlesh Patney denied involvement in any form of money laundering and that he had offered to deal with funds he knew originated from illegal sources. He told us that when he met with our undercover team, he believed he was meeting with an investor who wanted to sell a stake in hotel businesses and divest of a portfolio in China in gold buying and mining in Zimbabwe. All he did was to help them understand the gold business. He said that he had never been to or done business with any of the refineries he listed to our team. MTMNO denied being the rebranded Coloti, saying that it had been registered as long ago as 2018. Ernst & Young asked us to point out that it was the work of its staff that identified and reported irregularities, resulting in sanctions and changes to the sourcing of precious metals and the regulation of refineries in Dubai. The Dubai Multi-Commodities Center, DMCC, emphasized that it was not given an opportunity to provide evidence or make representations during the court action in London between Amjad Rehan and EY. It denies the allegation made against it in those proceedings and would have made this clear if given a chance to do so. The DMCC also strenuously denied being involved in money laundering or criminal activity of any kind. Next time on Al Jazeera Investigates. Buy in from the big man. Let me just say to you, what you want to do is happening. Our team gains access to the highest possible levers of power. This meeting is one of those I would never forget among all that I've done. Plus, a secret deal takes shape in the shadow of the UN climate conference that would permanently deface one of the seven wonders of the natural world. This goes perfectly in line with the vision of the number one. Team. 
This episode was written and produced by me, Kevin Herton, with help from Amy Walters. Alexander James and Sarah Yeo are the lead investigators of this series. Craig Pennington is our sound designer. Clean Cuts is our final sound mix. Eric Semithrakis composed our snazzy new theme song. Peter Charlie is the show's executive producer. Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. And Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. We will see you next time.